Hey there, everybody. What's cooking? What's up, Tony? What's up, Joe? Much, man. How's, how's it going? It's always good to start the show off with a little jazz accordion by Jerry Sigler. It kind of fires me up. Uh, how was your week, everybody? Good? It's very good. Yeah, mine was kind of busy. I started class, um, so I'm doing class two nights a week. And then yesterday, man, I really bit off more than we can chew at the house. So we're in like an older house. You know, it's like a 1920s era house that we're renting right now. And uh, it was nice, decent weather out. So we decided to put up the storm windows, which usually goes nice, you know, like, but there's a back porch. You've seen my back porch, right, Tony? Correct. So normally we just usually leave the screens there, but we decided this time to try to put up the storm windows for that as well. And the design, like back in the 20s, I don't think there was so much into building codes. Like it was kind of like, each house was a unique build or something. And this one, it's weird. It's like all the screens, instead of being an individual, each individual window, they're all linked together like puzzle pieces. And so what happens is, is when you've got older wood construction, if one of them's warped or a little bit off, it throws everything off. And so, man, we spent like all afternoon forcing these things in, you know, and they're up over your head. And it was cold out and stuff. And it was just a drag, man. I was drained by the end of the day. I'm not used to all this hard manual labor like Nico, man. I, uh, my <laughs> sensitive uh, constitution couldn't handle it, man. It was rough. You've become too civilized. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I had to help my buddy Scott again move stuff in his, well, he lives with his, you know, his family thing, his parents and his girlfriend. So I had to go over there. I had to put a storm window in on their screen door. Um, I also had to do, you know, move file cabinets again, all of that jazz and a few other things, sweep out their garage and full of leaves. Yeah, I don't know. It, they depend on me, I guess, you know, his dad also has Alzheimer's, but nowhere near. I mean, his dad's 89 years old, but he's nowhere near as bad as my mom, not at all, but I'm kind of like their, um, they use me as what to expect, what's going to happen down the line. You know, if, if, if his father lives long enough, you know, how the, uh, how the demise is going to happen. So it's kind of, but outside of that, you know, um, not much, man, not much getting cool out. The weather's changing. Have you um, set up your bike trainer yet? No, I have not. And I hope you guys will keep the show going for a minute. I just heard a big bang. I hope my mom didn't fall. I'm going to have to be right back. So, Nico, are you uh, you still working out? Yeah, very little. Um, just been doing some body weight workouts when I can, which is not very often. But um, when work slows down, I'll be hopefully hitting it pretty hard again. That's true. Your your job is pretty physical anyway, so you're probably kind of training in a lot of ways anyways. Like, it's a lot of lifting yeah. and stuff involved in general, right? Yeah, usually I'm either framing or pouring concrete, and when I'm framing, I'm basically swinging a sledgehammer all day long, and then uh, pouring concrete is, yeah, it's kind of like weightlifting and jogging at the same time. It's a pretty good workout. All right, I may have to be in and out because she fell. Um, oh, no. I just got her up, got her on her bed. I, uh, it's tough. It's, it's, 
Got to, you know, got to keep one eye open, sleep with one eye open and everything. She seems to be okay, but she said she's real dizzy, lightheaded. So I told her just stay in bed, you know, and then when we're done with this, uh, she needs you to stay in bed. So um, sorry yeah. for interruptions, but it may happen again. Hope she's okay, man. Falling when you're older can be. Yeah, I, right. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, she's in the beginning stages of osteoporosis. Uh, yeah, osteoporosis. There's a pre-stage. As a matter of fact, I got to get more of those caltrate pills um, this week. But she's light. She's lost a lot of weight. Anybody who came out and trained and ever met my mom was she was heavier set. And she's not. I mean, you know, she's skin and bones now. But uh, yeah, just yeah whatever you know it's just it's tough you know you get nervous all the time you can never really take a deep breath it's um but anyway uh yeah so uh you know joe i know you sent us the the thing about um wanting to talk about you know techniques today which a technique which we will and you wanted to talk about an old-time wrestler which is difficult because when you talk about old-time professional wrestlers with the exception of a few very few uh one facts are scarce because nobody really kept track because they weren't considered true i don't want to use the word athletes but they you know everybody knew back in the back then even that you know the sports writers and everything knew that these matches were were fake um there was a scandal about it and uh you know it pretty much got exposed so you know they weren't it, it, it's a whole different kind of ball of wax. Uh, it's not like you're tracking Babe Ruth with statistics and so on. Uh, many of these pro wrestlers had hundreds and hundreds and thousands of matches. I think they, they mentioned that Ed Strangler Lewis had 6,000 matches. Okay. Um, anybody, you know, common sense will tell you that's, you, you, you know, you're not going to be competitive, you know, um, Six, you know, and, and something as grueling as wrestling or boxing or something, and have six thousand matches. So, stats and uh, you know biographical information can become difficult. And with the world of professional wrestling, uh, so much is phone. So much is, the biographical stuff is 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 BS. So many times, even to this day. And Hollywood was the same way. Actors, actresses, uh, the stories that you read, uh, many of them are just not true. They're completely exaggerated. Fake family histories, you know, phony marriages, cover-ups of, uh, you know, accidents. And even they claim uh, Clark Gable actually literally killed somebody in a car accident. And it was covered up by Cecil B. DeMille or whoever, you know, whoever was in charge of the, you know, Joseph Mayer, whoever it was, you know, um, you don't know. So it's, it's kind of difficult to talk about these stories because you just don't know what's true, what's not true. Um, I do have some insight, in, you know, through people who, you know, knew some of the old time wrestlers personally. But again, it's not an encyclopedic thing. It's more anecdotal, you know, and some stories are just not fit to, <laughs> to rebroadcast. But, um, yeah, it's, they, you know, even, like I say, back then, times were so different. Um, 
paparazzi, ph photographers were many times hired by studios and they kept certain things under wraps. You know, if, if they got paid or if they kind of liked you now, it's like a free for all people just make things up and, you know, or digging into every corner of your life would be, it'd be tough to be world famous like that right now. I'll tell you that. So I'm kind of rushing this along because, you know, I'm trying to get my shit in here. So if I have to leave again, um, uh, so what questions did you have technique wise, uh, Joe? Well, I know we normally, you know, obviously this is somewhat grappling focus, but it's really self-defense overall that, you know, the theme of this, you know, of our podcast and our training. So, um, uh, you know, I wanted to focus on something that doesn't come up very often in our circles. Well, you know, is, is kicking, you know, and kind of, uh, I don't know, all kinds of things around that, like which kicks you like, uh, what do you like to target? Um, you know, when do you use them? When do you avoid them? I mean, just, you know, all kinds of ideas around that. Yeah, well, naturally, I started kicking when I was a young kid. I mean, just even before anybody ever gave me any proper training, because, you know, martial arts, even though I never saw a Bruce Lee movie, I mentioned that until I was I don't know, junior or senior in high school. So I could like rent a video, right? Um, I did watch, I did see like Kung Fu, the TV series and a couple, and then they would have a Hong Kong theater or Kung Fu theater, whatever they called it on Saturdays or something on one of the TV channels with the, you know, over the top uh, Asian movies. I remember one movie called Shaolin Arm Lock and that got my attention because it said Arm Lock. Um, <laughs> and uh, anyhow, uh, yeah. And, I, and when I studied kicking and martial arts, if you want to call it, yeah. Um, there was a time where I could, you know, I would do the high kicks and all of that. Just, a lot of it was just basically for, for exercise. I was fit enough, you know, and, and yeah, every kick probably has in some place or another around the world been highly effective. It knocked people out or worse. Uh, so I'm not one of these guys that'll say that kick will never work or this will never, 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 you know, that kind of deal. But for me, because of the boxing, the head movement, the wrestling, all of that, I tended to kind of keep my kicks low. And I, and of course I use a lot of knees as well, but you know, normally those are low. Um, I didn't do any jumping, flying knee kicks or anything uh, or knee strikes. So foot jabs, a lot of foot jabs. That was very effective. Learning how to, Foot jab and a round kick, foot jab, round kick, kind of thinking of your, you know, right, you know, jab, cross, jab, cross, hook, you know, using your, your hands, converting them to your feet um, and groin kicks, of course, especially in the street. That was one of my favorite things to set the guy up, you know, get him a little bit wide, you know, fake him out. Um, and okay. Going back, even probably to this day, well, of course, MMA is kind of changing things. People are a little bit more uh, coming out of, of a less traditional martial arts stance. But back in those old days, you know, you knew if somebody had any kind of martial art training because they'd come up with this wild kind of flamboyant martial arts stance many times, whereas I never did that, you know, unless I was just goofing around. Um, so you didn't expect kicks coming from me because I look like a boxer and a wrestler. But I use a lot of angles. And uh, again, setting it up. Um, so I liked, for me, it was always lower kicks, kicks to the knee area. Um, 
you know, to, to try to take the guy out. Uh, you know, through the years, I met a lot of great kickers. Terry Dow, we did the catch and kickboxing series. is fantastic. Of course, he had Paul, uh, uh, Bill Superfoot Wallace, who I knew, know, and I don't know, when it comes to American-style kickboxing, his, his kick, wow, and his sidekick is, you know, extraordinary. Um, so those are, you know, I mean, Bill Superfoot uh, is world-class. Superfoot is world-class um, when it comes to uh, kicks. Uh, and, of course, you know, everybody sees the tie boxers. And, uh, you know, and that, that was more the style that I did. Um, but snap kicks, roundhouse kicks, mule, mule kicks are really important. Learning to kick behind you, again, especially for street fighting situations. And um, sidekicks, although I never did them, nowhere, nowhere near the sidekicks like Terry Dow or Bill Wallace. They took it to the high, high level highest level um but those are very um important kicks and looking to kick inside the guys like you know kick the outside of the knee kick the inside of the knee uh use little teeps you know just um what do you call it uh like per kicks um those are very effective learning to kind of set the guy up kick to his shin shin kick you know kicking his shin um and, and just not getting so focused though. Don't get, get, you know, don't get so wrapped up. You, you get, you, you gotta, I always looked at the fighting as a one whole complete package. Whereas I think a lot of people look at it as, oh, I'm in striking mode or I'm in grappling mode or I'm in ground fighting mode. See, I never thought about them like that. You know, I looked at the whole thing, you know, um, as one. And I, I guess the best example is like, I could be out, talking and just all of a sudden something can happen and I'd go home on my own. Okay. Which is an Italian thing. I don't think in my mind, my mind isn't when something happens, my mind doesn't switch and say, okay, now say something in Italian. Okay. The Italian word just comes out um, or the phrase or what have you. And that's how you have to become what you're fighting. It has to become intrinsic a part of you, second nature. So you're no longer thinking, okay, switch now to grappling or switch now to ground. It just, it just happens. And that only comes when you, and I think this is one of the biggest detriments when you switch your training, when you're, you know, like today's grappling day and tomorrow's boxing day and Wednesday's, you know, judo day or, you know, whatever, tie boxing, what have you. Um, you get those lines of demarcation. There's no smooth transition physically or mentally. It's almost up to you to kind of put it all together. So when your training is like that, um, you're missing out on that, that smoothness. There's going to be a lot of jagged edges, both mentally and physically. And um, that's hard. I mean, that's hard to overcome. And I, I see that. Uh, in a lot of people and it's not their fault. They're, there's just no other way for them to train. They don't, they don't have that opportunity to get it all blended in, uh, you know, like putting it in a mixer and liquefied. So it's now a smoothie. Okay. And you want to fight like a smoothie. You know, when you make a smoothie, you no longer see, or you shouldn't taste or feel the, all the different ingredients. It should be a complete new taste, everything blended together. And that's how your fighting should be. And both, again, mentally and physically. 
but very few people get, can get access to that type of training. So, um, yeah, I, so to wrap it up, I guess, generally, I would try to do low-lying kicks. And, you know, the flooring, the, you know, the out, if you're on ice, outside, wherever, you know, your, your foot, your, your, you know, your, that plays a role in it. You know, what, what kind of, uh, you know, structure is underneath you to, to launch your kicks? How much room do you have? You know, are you fighting in a tight quarter? Are you are you fighting, you know, wide open? You think about these martial art movies. Not that I've watched a million of them, but most of them are like, there's a lot of space, okay? Because <laughs> it's a movie. They want to show off all these techniques. But how many times do you really have a lot of room? Um, right now where I'm filming, I'm looking at this this room that I'm in right now. And I could do a foot, jab, foot jabs. I could do knee strikes, no problem. Maybe a side kick, right? Or a mule kick. But I can't even do a round kick in here. There's just no room, okay? So you have to think about all of that. Uh, and have strategies, you know, based on that. And that's another thing that you can all practice. Not just you two guys, but everybody in the listening audience here. You know, it, wherever you're at, if, you're, if, you, if you go to the store, any store, if you go to a restaurant, if you go where, wherever you work, Look around you, visualize the environment and and take the time, the extra few minutes to say, you know, what of my techniques would work here? Are there any techniques that I do that won't work here? And then uh, of the techniques that um, would work, that you think would work, prioritize them. Which ones would be the most effective? Okay, so for example, damn near everywhere you go, you could throw a jab. Okay, let's say that. Well, is that the single most effective technique? Or would it be a left hook or would it be an uppercut or whatever, you know, right cross, whatever it is that, you know, your strengths are. And then plan a strategy for that. Just visualize it. Obviously, you don't need to grab a body and, and work it out. Just know. And that's one of the first things that I do, even if I go to a place that I'm familiar with. I look, again, I always refresh myself. Okay, I know what will work here, what won't work. But I'll look around and see, hey, is there anything here that, that somebody can use as an improvised weapon, either myself or an opponent, or, you know, a bad guy? Uh, so it's a lot of situational awareness. And that's all on you. You know, we can all become aware of our surroundings. It doesn't take, you know, forever. Uh, you know, just a quick scan. You know, if you scan the room, you should be able to see what all your choices are. So I, um, I, when I watch or hear about certain fights, you know, the, the sport, sporting fights, MMA fights or something, especially where there's more ranges of combat, um, you know, it's interesting to me how they finish the fight. And I don't mean armbar choke or something like that. I mean on the feet or on the ground. And when you, when you analyze an MMA fight, let's say, and it does hit the ground, don't just sit there and say, well, it, it ended on the ground. No, think about the whole ground fight. How much room did that ground fight take up? So did they instantly go to the ground in a little five-by-five five patch and the fight end there? Or was it all over the octagon or all over the ring? See, these are things you have to analyze, okay? 
because you just may not have that kind of room in a real life fight. All right. And even if you're the best out of the two guys, let's say, you know, for a fact, you can destroy this guy. You may end up putting yourself inadvertently in a bad spot where you're jammed up and now you can't make your, your technique work. So think about even your gym matches. And, you know, we've all seen thousands of gym matches through the years. Um, doesn't it seem many times that people end up in the corner or up against the wall or something? It, no matter where they start on the ground, they seem to move all over the place. And that's a big tell. That's a big tell right there. Um, and if that's consistently happening to you, that means that your ground fight, you're not at that level where you can just instantly, if you're on your back, let's say, end this quickly enough. So you, you have to start making um, concessions here for the street. So if I go to the ground, I'm on my back and I can't get a quick submission. And all of a sudden I'm starting to get moved around because the guy on top is whatever. He's just moving me around. I've got to practice getting out, get up and get out, you know, and it doesn't, it would, it's not a bad idea to get like tape, duct tape and just tape areas on your mat and your gym, let's say. Five by five, ten by ten, five by ten, six by eight, whatever, okay, or even smaller, whatever you want to do, and just see what how can you handle that situation, what can you do in that confined space, and then you're going to find out. And if that, even on the feet, you can do this on the feet on the ground. You're going to find out. Shoot, man, I don't. I, you know, a lot of my stuff may be limited. You know, I may not have the room to do this. So. I, some of you may not remember what a telephone booth is, but you know, the funny thing when I was growing up was learning how to fight in a telephone booth. You know, if you can defend yourself in the telephone booth, you can beat anybody in the world pretty much. Okay. That's pretty much how you had to think because man, are you, and it's an exaggeration. Naturally a telephone booth was designed for one person, but it's the point of learning to fight in such a confined area and, you know, learning how to control your body and hide your vulnerable spots. You know, if a guy ties your arms up, or two guys, you know, you've got to start improvising how to hide your head and your, you know, your groin or whatever is vulnerable to you. So um, it's another way to, to train. It's, it's again, it's another, I like to use it as a, I consider it now an advanced form of training. I never thought of it as advanced years ago, but now because nobody does it or very few, this is something that isn't, um, uh, a beginner technique. You know, it's not even an intermediate technique. And in some schools, it's not even advanced technique. It's beyond that. A lot of schools just don't do this kind of training. So um, that's just what you have to do. So kicks, strikes of any sort, ground techniques, it doesn't matter what it is. Um, you need to know what you can do in the situation that you're in. And that's on you. Everyone is going to have a different toolbox, different amount of, uh, of techniques available to them just in general. And then you have to instantly know based on your location or based on the, the uh, atmospheric situations, what's going to be your high percentage today. So that's how I, that's how I look at it. And then, oops, and another thing, how do you feel today? Do you have an injury today? 
Uh, is your back hurting? Is your arm injured? Is your knee injured? These are things that, you know, you, you have to be cognizant of too. I mean, we've talked about pain when you're, when you're, um, you know, the adrenaline will cover up a lot of pain, but still, if you have a limb that just isn't working, you know, uh, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to have a plan around that. Okay. So, um, this is homework for everyone. You know, they should really alter their, alter their training. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if, you know, if a lot of people are really that concerned with the street aspect of it, but I think they should be, you know, I, I actually think that should be, in my opinion, opinion, that should be your priority in every school in the world and sports should become, you know, that should be after, that should be an afterthought. That should be the fun part of it. But I, I do firmly believe self-defense should be uh, the number one priority in, in every, in every school. That's my opinion. Yeah, I remember when I was in high school, I, I got in a street fight and I was, I was at that time I was training at a boxing gym and um, I got cornered between a fence and a garage. It was in an alley and it was cold out. So I had a winter coat and I remember I was being maneuvered by my coat and it was like over my face. So I couldn't really see. And I just remember panicking in that moment because I had never actually trained that type of situation and it took away like all the techniques pretty much that I knew and I think mentally I was defeated at that point because I had just never experienced it in my life and then also I remember um, getting back to the you know the amount of space when you're training I remember I used to train a lot of times we do a lot of sparring and stuff and grappling in the mat space and it was a big area and, and then I remember going to a, a boxing gym, had a very tiny ring, super small. And I get, I remember I used to do like rounds and rounds, you know, on the mats. And I remember gassing out within the first round in that tiny boxing ring. I mean, totally gassed. So it, it was, it completely changed the dynamics. So I think it's really good to change up the space that you're training in. Well, to go back to your first point, yeah, your boxing, you know, with the jacket, you know, your boxing training was, was sport, you know, and it, and it didn't specifically train. And I'm not judging it. I mean, that's what it was there for was sport, but make the correlation to your martial art, not you specifically, but you in general to your martial arts training. Is it sport? Is it sport oriented? And 90, 90% of the time it is, you know, so you're going to, you know, potentially, even if you're a grappler, you think you're just going to take down a striker or something may not work out that way. Things may not be that way. Your name, like what happened to you? You may all of a sudden be in for a shock. Like, oh my goodness, I, I wasn't prepared for this. Um, but yeah, space. See, and it was just like, see, since I never really learned in a gym, except the boxing thing, uh, all my grappling was in a house or outside or some confined areas, right? So I, I, I've been very lucky, just sheer luck that, you know, I didn't have this extravagant, like beautiful gyms to work out at until I was even well, when Joe started with me 20 some odd years ago at the tool and die shop, we were working on concrete, you know, um, and in a very tight space with heavy machines that aren't going to be budged. We're talking about machines that weigh, you know, thousand pounds or more. 
he knows, and file cabinets that were, you know, up against the wall that weren't going to be moved. So you're going to be banging into that stuff. Um, it, it, it's just a blessing in disguise, you know, that I learned that way. And, you know, the good thing about you, Nico, is you at least had some real world experience and thankful, you know, with the street fights or whatever. And thankfully you came out of it unscathed physically, nothing super bad happened, but it did mentally because you're still talking about it. You know, all these years later, it left the mark, you know, uh, you know, like you just said, now you panicked and you were all nervous about the, the coat thing. So it's lasted this long with you. So, um, you know, I'm not saying it's scarred, but it's a memory, you know, that that's another thing. It was, I guess my vision being obscured. And also in the, like in the boxing gym, I remember I had to wear, uh, the sparring helmet that was too big on me. And um, after getting hit a few times from the top of the head, it's right over your eyes. And when you can't see for me, it's like almost like I start panicking because I don't know where that, where the strikes are coming from and I don't got time to adjust my helmet, you know? So I think obscuring the vision can really mentally screw with you. Well, that's one thing that I was going to film on the snap, no tap. But we, again, every time I film a big series, we run out of time. And I was going to do some blindfolded wrestling because I did a lot of that. And you can do that with your eyes closed, but it's, it's good to get your tactile sense, learning how to feel things. But it, that's not necessarily for a street fight. But you're right. When you can't see, it's, you know, it can be terrifying. Um, you know, uh, another terrifying thing could be if you're with someone and it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a girlfriend or a wife or something could be a friend. It could be a family member. If you're jumped and you, while you're defending yourself, you see that your, you know, your significant other is getting beaten or something bad. That'll play a mind game with you. Okay. That's scary. Cause I remember one time coming home from school, I was really, really little first or second grade and my grandmother got dragged in the car she was outside they dragged her at gunpoint they robbed her grabbing her purse and she wouldn't let go and they had the gun to her and they're dragging her in a car i freaked out seeing that okay that was you know and i had other experiences similar to that that i'm not comfortable discussing publicly that were even worse than that and you have your the feeling of helplessness that enters into it because you can't help that person at that point in time. So these are things that just don't enter your head when you're a sportsman. Okay. And when you're, when your training is so wrapped up in sport, you lose track of other things that can happen. And you know, everybody to each his own. There's people out there that that's all they want is sports. So fine. You know, that's not me. Um, so I, I empathize, you know, empathize with what you're going through, Nico, because I've been through that. I mean, a lot of other people have been through that in their life. They've witnessed things and they were, you know, it leaves a mental trauma. Um, and you have to be able to deal with it uh, at that moment in time and then post situation. So you don't have lingering effects mentally, you know, for the rest of your life. And you probably never forget what happened. You just have to process what did and come to an acceptance 
so you don't mentally um, break down and destroy your life uh, either overtly or covertly. And we all know or have read about people who, because of a traumatic experience of overtly did something, committed suicide or became a drug addict or an alcoholic or something, <clears throat> excuse me, but covertly without them even knowing they're doing things over and over to harm themselves or, or whatever, because, or harm other relationships, be it romantic or friendship because of trauma that they have not been able to process. So, uh, you, you know, that's where getting appropriate mental health comes into play and you got to take the stigma off of that about going to see a, a counselor or a psychologist or even a psychiatrist. Um, but this all wraps, this is all tied in together. So when you're talking street fighting, you're not just talking about what can I learn in the dojo or what can I learn from Joe Blow? There's a lot to it. And psych, 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 uh, psychological uh, elements, and even in your sports, even in sporting events, sometimes there's psychological elements that come into play but more so in a street. Um, so it's a deep subject, you know, and it's, it's something that, you know, uh, I would, I don't even think, I mean, it's a tiny percentage of people probably worldwide that have, that have had that kind of training that encompasses everything from physical techniques, diet, strength, cardio, to the mental techniques, you know, and, beyond meditation and chanting and all of that kind of stuff that may happen in some martial arts schools. I'm talking psychological. How do you deal with perhaps a woman getting, you know, a woman student who's been raped, raped or been in, you know, in that situation where that could happen, you know, how do you prepare for that? Right. So you, you just have to open up your mind and sometimes, you know, obviously your coach probably can't teach you all of this, you know, no chance, now it's on you to maybe go out there and, and search for someone else or an addendum to what you're currently learning. Um, it's, it's crazy. You know, it's, it's, it's such a deep subject. So when I see a lot of these street fight videos in the past or, you know, the, again, not that the techniques may or may not work, that's irrelevant, but they're missing the bigger picture here about this, your psychology. Don't worry about getting into the psychology of the other person. Worry about yourself, okay? I always say this, fight only your opponent. Don't fight yourself. So you've got to learn you. You've got to study you and, and, and know how you would handle certain circumstances. It's tough. It seems like the, the situation that you're most vulnerable to is going to be the situation you've never seen coming, never experienced in your life. It's like the move that you're going to get caught in is probably the move that you really have never seen or have much experience with. Could be. Um, uh, <clears throat> but sometimes even the things that you don't experience or you don't expect, I should say, you can take it in your stride, you know, it, you, now I'm not diminishing what you're saying, but sometimes you can, you know, think like a breakup in a relationship. Sometimes people just take it hard. Others, well, not so hard. Right. Um, I guess a lot of it though is, is again, it both 
boils down to you and to your mental preparation in life, just in life in general, you know, and I think when we put all our eggs in one basket is when in anything in life is when we are setting ourselves up for failure. So for example, non-fighting, you have a lot of bills, you have a lot of debt, but boy, you're, you got a good job. You're making a lot of money, but you know, boy, if I lose this job, I'm really screwed. See, that's, so you're setting yourself up for failure. You know, if you lose that job, you're screwed. Uh, that's tough. It's a tough position to be in. Or uh, it could, the same thing could be with a relationship. You're so tied up financially or whatever, you know, physically, emotionally, that if something would happen in the relationship, you're devastated, okay? So the same is in your training. You're so geared up with, let's say, your grappling that if somebody clobbers you in a street fight and either knocks you out or, or just completely discombobulates you because you've never been used to that before I and mean, you're in trouble, or conversely, if you're a striker and now some wrestler ties you up, that's where you panic, right? So um, we need to prepare, you know. Each individual has unique circumstances, and, you know, I think the more prepared you are, even if it's, play acting, so to speak, role playing, if you just do a critical analysis of yourself and see where are you most vulnerable in life, in life in general, where are you most vulnerable and start working on um, tying up those loose ends and making yourself less vulnerable. Okay. So I don't know, you may have Maybe all your money, maybe you're with a girl and all your money's in her account. Well, maybe you need to start, instead of maybe withdrawing all that money and causing a chaos, start your own fund, you know, start your own bank account or whatever it is and start banking money away just in case. Nothing ever happens, fine, the money's there. Um, you know, that's just a quick example off the top of the head because I know finances, especially now in this day and age, affect a lot of people in their relationships and it always has. Um so you got to do that with your training, you know, uh, and become, you want to become as invulnerable and as impregnable as you can um, physically uh, and psychologically. That's, that's the key. So would you say that having a good coach is vital for that? Because it seems like it's hard to see your vulnerabilities yourself. Well, a good coach, I mean, if you can find one, uh, but just a good friend, somebody who, you mean, because like I said, not all vulnerabilities is physical. They're, they're emotional, they're mental. So with that, you need a good friend or a family member that, you know, coworker, who, you know, whatever, somebody who's, you know, confident in themselves enough to say, hey, look, you know, I see this in you, Nico. I see that, you know, you flew off the handle yesterday, you know, when that, you know, that drill bit broke. It's not a big deal. It's a $5 drill bit. What difference does it make, you know? Worst case, if it come out of your check, you know, you make $40 an hour or whatever, you know, it's no big deal. It's a sandwich. So, you know, you need somebody that can, you know, have the guts to tell you what they see and it's critical. And then you need to get it from other people. Now it's two, not just one, because somebody could be biased or, you know, this has got to be somebody that you respect and can trust that doesn't have an ulterior motive, of course, because a lot of people, you know, will manip try to manipulate you, okay? And especially sometimes if you go asking for help, 
this is with a non-professional. If you go asking for help, then they kind of see, uh, oh, he's a little vulnerable. And now if they have any kind of um, ulterior motive or agenda, they may manipulate that. And you have to be very careful with your coaches too. A lot of them don't really, they care about the money. They don't, many of them, they don't care about anything else. And if you tell them something, they may say, okay, now I know how I can work on this guy, you know, um, psychologically. Same with, you know, a lot of people who are religious. They go to church, they, they start talking to people. All of a sudden, you know, you're exposed, and now people are going to use that against you. So you have to be very careful who you go to um, for any of this advice, okay? Because um, you're pouring your soul out. And we, we talked about this once before when we were – talking about uh, reality training situations and how, you know, you, you can scream and insult. And, you know, I said, you know, you're going to, you may lose friendships over this if you start trying to poke the bear. Um, but it depends on how serious do you want to take this? You know, do you want to take it to the, to the level where you, where you know that you've done everything possible for your training? I, very few do that, you know, so, it, it's up to you. Um, but I do believe everybody, no matter who, martial artist or trainer or not, you, you, you need to shore up any loose ends and, and work on things that, that may make you susceptible to a collapse. You know, um, and then you, and if that should happen, then you, my advice generally is start working on acceptance. You know, accept what happened, you know, you can't just constantly beat yourself up. Acceptance and then work on the healing part. Okay. It's like a scab. Don't quit, don't quit picking on it. It'll never, it'll never go away. Accept what happened and work on healing. So what we want to do is preempt all that and, and work on what's wrong now so we can hopefully prevent the scab from developing, so to speak. And, um, and if it does, you'll probably be a little bit more prepared to deal with the aftermath than someone who just didn't care enough to begin with. I think my problem with getting advice from people, like you were saying is, uh, it's, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, where you're saying, being careful who you talk to, be careful who you trust. I don't trust anyone pretty much. So that's my problem. You know, I have a hard time opening up to people because I'm always thinking the worst. I'm always thinking like this person has ulterior motives and I don't want to talk to them about, you know, my problems. You know, so that's that's what's hard for me. Well, you're not wrong in feeling that way. I mean, again, you don't want to go over the top to the degree of no human being that you can trust. But yeah, you're you're very rational thinker. You're a critical thinker, and you realize that there may be people out there that have an agenda. Um, and it it comes down to <clears throat> working on your perceptions. And I think the more you know somebody, the better you know that person. The more insight you can get into him or her, uh, maybe it'll start chipping away at your lack of trust. Um, Give somebody a small dose, okay? Just something that really isn't super critical to you. You know, pick somebody that you think, I, I would really like this person 
I think this person's shrewd and smart and probably could give me a lot of advice if I can only trust him or her. Well, give them something that's innocuous, something that's not really the end all and see how they react, you know, and, and mull over their information, something that isn't going to be critical. And if you find out that they kind of betray, now don't judge exactly what they say, perhaps judge their intentions. Okay. That's the key because somebody can give you advice that turns out just not to be the correct advice, but they meant no, they meant nothing by it. Okay. It wasn't like they were trying to hurt you. Just, just, it didn't work out. So like uh, you need your television, you need your car fix. And I recommend this mechanic because he's really good. And you take your car to him and he, you know, he didn't do such a good job. All right. Well, I didn't do that on purpose. He's always done me well. I'm sorry he didn't do you well. Okay. That's kind of what I'm saying. But if I purposely tell you, yeah, go to this guy, you know, and he's a joke and I know he's a joke. Well, then my intentions were bad. So you've got to, you know, I would probably start by telling them something that doesn't really, it's not going to change your world around and, and see what they say. And maybe, you know, act on their advice and see where, see where it takes you. And then little by little, you can start, you can start trusting. I think everybody has, or most everybody has some trust issues because when you've lived long or you've lived a fuller life, not isolated, um, you know, you start seeing, uh, you know, you can become jaded, you know, cause you see a lot of ugliness out there. Cause there is a lot of ugliness. There's beauty too, but you know, you, you got to focus. You want to be well-rounded. You got to focus on everything. You can't live with your, you know, head in the clouds. I mean, unless you're one of those few lucky people that can get away with it. But I, I met somebody, you know, that said that she had the perfect childhood, absolutely perfect. Her parents married, met in high school. Um, by the time they got married, she was 18. The father was 20. Um, the first child was born when, you know, two years later and, and all the years they, they only had one argument, you know, it was like the, everything was perfect. Picket fence, the whole bit, the kids, the brothers and sisters all got along. Um, but yet when she ended up getting older and she ended up getting divorced and, you know, she met a guy that, you know, she got divorced. She has some health issues, you know, life comes up and grabs you out of the blue. So, you know, she's seen a little more, uh, you know, she's, she's lived probably a little to a degree, a little more well-rounded life than some. Not many of us can say we had the picture perfect childhood. She did, but you know, sometimes life throws you curveballs. So far, she seems to be able to handle it. I give her credit for that. Others life beats them up, you know, and, uh, you get a struggle. It's like, man, every day it's, it's a grind. Every day it's horrible. What's the use? You know, life's never going to get any better and blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden now you find yourself in that vortex of overwhelming negativity. And you got to figure out how to get out of that because, man, that's, that's a bad place to be. And that'll affect every aspect of your life. You know, and we don't have time here to discuss every possible scenario. People who are addicted to work, people who are gamblers or sexaholics or whatever it is, you know, people all have crutches. There's very few of us that are, if any, that are completely fully adjusted. You don't need that. 
You just need, like I said last week, mad, glad, sad, scared. You can have all of those emotions. Just don't go to extremes. Be kind of like down the middle. And, uh, you know, things might uh, just pan out. What about you, Joe? You've been awfully quiet. Uh, just thinking about a lot of this. I mean, we've covered a lot of grounds here. That definitely answers my question about kicking. But um, <laughs> we were, uh, I was thinking about, um, well, I had questions about you about that, you know, don't go to extremes uh, statement, which I think definitely makes some sense in, in, in some realms. But like, what's the danger of occasionally being euphoric about something? Like, you know, just kind of the extreme of happiness. Now, obviously, I imagine, you know, there could be a crash from that, like if you're or if you think you need to be that way all the time. But it seems like occasionally being there would be a good thing as opposed to the extremes with like anger or sadness. It's a danger zone. There's nothing wrong with brilliances of light. Take a, take an old, take a flash camera, okay? If somebody's taking your picture with a flash, that'll stun your eyes momentarily, but then it'll go away, you're back to normal. If that flash in your eyes was there consistently, it's going to damage you. If not permanently injure your, your eyes, it's going to make you incredibly uncomfortable. And that's the thing with emotions. Yeah, you can have a flash of, like, exuberance. You know, your team won the Super Bowl, which I'll never live to see that. But you know what I mean, something, like, overwhelming. and it just. But that's not a euphoric state. That is a euphoric moment, a capture, a, a small slice in time. Like if your loved one dies and you're going to cry and you're going to grieve, yeah, it's going to be emotional. That's just a moment. That should be just a moment in time, a small portion. It, it should not become your lifestyle, your, your overwhelming mental state. And that's what that's all about. Um, and then you have to see what other physical um, manifestations happen because of these emotional states. You know, if you're in a street fight and you get so scared that you freeze or you start shaking or, you know, or you get cut. And now because you can't control your emotions, you're bleeding out. Okay. In that case, that can become deadly. You could, you could die from that. Um, so it's about a controlling. I mean, if you want to let it get loud, you know, like a static euphoric. Okay. For a moment, then get, you got to get it back under control. If you can't control your emotions, then you need help. That doesn't necessarily mean medication, but it, it means intervention. Someone's going to have to, you know, watch you. Uh, and then, and, you know, you need a good diagnosis. You, you may have a chemical imbalance. You may have some, some other underlying medical issues here. But clinically, euphoria is, is you know, it, it can linger. It could become a... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A, a loss of the grasp of reality. Okay. So uh, the Chicago Cubs won the world series. Everybody's happy. There's, you know, all oh, great. It's, you, you're, you're screaming, you're, you're crying. You're so happy. Well, there's a reason. Okay. The Cubs after, you know, what was it? Four or 500 years. They didn't win the world series. They finally won. Okay. So there's a cause and effect. But if you found $20 on the street and you got 50 bucks in your pocket already and you have those same emotions that you did like when the Cubs won, 
there's a problem here. Okay, this is a psychological problem. And this is what we, this is how with REBT, this is what we're talking about here. Um, it, it doesn't, co- cause and effect isn't there. You found $20, it's not the greatest, 20 million, okay, but 20 bucks. And, and that happens to people. And you've probably seen people like that. They just continually overreact to something. They'll, they'll blow something out of proportion. Okay, whatever it may be, it's probably just a minor thing, positive or negative, but they they blow it up to be too much. This is this is the problem with you. You know, not you, but you know, you generally, I'm saying. This is the problem with you. Because then you can't really what's the word I'm looking for? Assess situations. And if it comes to a street fight, if you're already prone to hyperbole. Uh, how can you honestly assess, like here, let's say you're, let's get back to the auto mechanic. There's been, you know, auto technicians that have, you know, that happened to my friend, Johnny Rice, his engine blew on his Cadillac. That was the end of that motor. He, he had to get a new car. Okay. Because to replace that motor would have been, you know, over $5,000. Now that's an actual fact that happened. Now, Let's say your check engine light comes on, you go to the same mechanic, and he goes up to you and he says, well, you know, you probably have a blown motor. I mean, that can happen. You know, now you're out $5,000 or this motor's gone. I mean, you know, I got to check it out, but my goodness, you know, I just had a guy in here whose engine was blown. You'd be like, I don't want to go to this mechanic. This guy's scaring me. He's, he's overreacting. It's just a check engine light. Well, that's the same scenario in your life, okay? The check engine light comes on. doesn't mean you're, you need a new motor, okay? Don't. Don't go to the, the extremes, even though, yes, potentially the extreme may exist. It's such a tiny percentage. So that's how you have to kind of handle everything, including your physical training. You know, you can't go overboard with your training to the point of you want everything now or you think you'll never get there. It's a little futile. Both of those are, you know, not right. Uh, you, you, you have to make that gradual progression and enjoy the ride, okay? Enjoy every little 10-pound increase on your bench or every new technique that you, that you learn or the fact that you were able to block four or five of the guy's punches. Take that as a, you know, be happy about that. You know, don't, like, get so cocky now that you think that you could go against Tyson in his prime or you're ready to start benching, you know, with uh, – <laughs> you know, some powerlifting contests, you know, you're in over your head, take it in moderation. So um, that, that's really, you know, what, what I say, you know, like with me, um, sometimes people will give me compliments about something that I do, but I know that there's people out there in whatever music or pool or whatever it is, you know, I'm aware of my place in the pecking order. So I never let it give me a swell head. Um, but conversely, I can also, I don't beat myself up. I know, I try to know exactly where I'm at. So there's no f- false modesty. And yet there's still no, um, I'm not going to let a, a guy who's way below my ability shark me. Okay. So that's all I'm saying, Joe. Um, the other thing too, guys, uh, you need to try to, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but it's really important to, find a vent, find a, an outlet, a hobby or something to, you know, 
to take you away from all of the situations and, you know, maybe not make that hobby something that's competitive. Maybe, maybe you need just, just a relaxation hobby. Right. Cause I know a lot of people who, um, who, who, uh, what's that? Uh, well, my mind's not working right now, but it's, um, you replace one negative with another negative, you know, like you take an alcoholic who's, you know, just obsessed with drinking. Well, you take that away, but now they become obsessed with something else. You know, you need to, what's the word? Uh, not, a, not even necessarily, well, maybe it's obsessive, but you know, you just need, sometimes you just need something to relax you just to, that you don't really care enough about to get, you know, overwhelmed, but it, it's a, it gives you a calming effect. Um, and everyone for that, it's going to be different for everyone. You know, it could be reading a book. No, it could be drawing if you're into that, you know, watching a movie or, you know, who knows? Um, listening to Mozart, right, Joe? <laughs> Trying to look like Mozart, yeah. Going to be looking like Mozart. Um, you're almost there. Like I said, last week, the last several weeks, you were Albert Einstein. Today, you're, you know, Larry Fine from the Three Stooges. But you, so you're doing this in gradual stages. Well, it's, it's just like we were talking about kind of mental health and um, it's a process, you know, my hair is a process. It's not a, it's not a one-time thing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going through stages and accepting those stages. So there's the three stooges stages, the mad conductor stages. I'm looking forward to when I get to Einstein, possibly. You were already there. I was there. Yeah. You <laughs> want to get a little older and grayer, but eventually, like I said, we're shooting for 80s hair bands. You know, it's, it's all possible. You don't want to limit yourself, basically. You don't want to, Nico, psychologically or whether it's psychologically or about your hair, you don't want to limit the possibilities that you can achieve, really. You don't put those limits on yourself. And definitely don't let those of you, like maybe let's say your coach put you down for those things. Let's say you have a dream about how your hair should be. You shouldn't let anybody tell you opposite. I will send you pictures. Uh, I will go on eBay and maybe find a Fabio poster for you and mail it to you, as which <laughs> would do inspiration. That, that could be your idol now. Uh, I don't think you have to look at eBay. I'm pretty sure you have a, a lot of Fabio paraphernalia at the house. I'd have to look. You never know. <laughs> I mean, it's possible. He's Italian, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, everybody takes their own thing. You know, I know a lot of people. I was driven. Don't get me wrong. I mean, to excel at anything, you, you got to have that drive. You got to be, you know, focused and have that intensity. You just, some people don't know when to turn it off. And, you know, in essence, I don't know how full of a life they can lead because many times you end up burning bridges along the way. You know, I remember many years ago, when I was serious about the music, you know, drums and everything and jazz accordion and all that. And I was playing jobbing musician and I would date girls and they'd want to go hear a band. And I had more than one girl tell me, Tony, you take the fun out of it because I'm critiquing the band. I'm like, they suck. You know, the drummer's not that good or the guitar players, he's missing chord changes. They're like, Tony, I mean, more than one woman told me this. You're the exact words. You, you take all the fun out of this. Okay. And, um, you know, they're right. You know, I should, I did not know how to turn it off. I did not know how to turn off that switch. And I'm like that, even with the fighting, I'll see these clips, you know, or some, this guy's not very good that he's missing this or that. He got, he gets this wrong, that wrong, that wrong. And people are like, ah, shit, shut up, man. You know, we don't want to hear it. Don't, you know, but that's just, you know, so that's just how I am. So 
when I'm out in public, like just to relax, just to go out and have fun, I don't want to talk about fighting. Okay. And now the music is no longer a part of me. So I, I can go out and hear a band and, you know, I can say to myself, well, he's, you know, he isn't that, he's not that good, but I don't need to, you know, harp on it. I can, I can let it go now because it's really, doesn't matter to me. Okay. Um, so that's, that's just how it was in my life, but fighting is, was not a sport to me. It wasn't a pathway to movies. It wasn't a pathway to a career because it wasn't one option back then. It was a pathway to life. I did it to survive, to live, to live another day. And that, that's, you know, the, I want to continue to live another day. So, you know, that's why fighting will always be paramount to me uh, more than anything in my life. So, um, but yeah, it, you know, everybody's different, man, you know, but, but, but you, you should, you don't want to be a, you know, a schnook. You, you do want to have some drive and dedication to get good. Um, but I guess my best advice to everyone is it just, just have a balance, you know, don't blow opportunities because of your single fo minded focus, because I've blown a lot of opportunities in my life or I've looked the other way or I was too determined to do something. And in the end, even if I did it, what was the payoff? Did, did I, did I get that? Do you use Joe's word, that sense of euphoria? Uh, no, most of the time, no. Couple of times, yeah, maybe, but the, most of the time, you know, it was like, okay, well, I did it. Now what? Um. So that's just my take. I mean, everybody could go through life differently, but you know, I've, I've, of course, everyone who knows me knows that I've been a man who's lost pretty much everything in his life, every material possessions, personal people. You know, I've lost so much that you know now I'm just on over. I'm just cruising. You know, I, I don't get excited about, about anything anymore, you know, but, and you don't want, and that's not good, but you know, what are you going to do? Um, Isn't that what, what bipolar is basically you, they go from the extreme uh, ends of the spectrum of emotion. Like they go from euphoria down to depression, up to rage and, and just kind of cycles. I mean, I don't really know exactly what it is, but I, I think that's. Yeah, man, it used to be manic depressive where you have these stages <clears throat> where you can be, <clears throat> excuse me, very, very manic, you know, and, and, and go off on shopping sprees or gambling or whatever it is, you know, happy, happy, happy. Then then the crash hits and then you're all of a sudden now you're way on the bottom and everything. And that's they they have medication to treat that, I guess. But, yeah, that's a whole different thing. I mean, we all have mood changes. Like I said, just having those mood changes doesn't necessarily mean you're manic or that you're bipolar uh, or that you have borderline personality disorder or, or anything or your narcissism or megalomania. Um, but because everyone will show a trait of something. Okay. Like I tell people when you let's like when you have a cough or when you have a cold, you may have a runny nose, you may sneeze or something like that. You may cough. Well, we all sneeze. We all cough on a day, not necessarily on a daily basis, but, you know, routinely. Well, that doesn't mean you have a cold. Okay. Just means, you know, something got up in your nose and made you sneeze. You know, um, you may eat hot food and that may trigger a runny nose. No, doesn't mean you have a cold. 
So just because you have these traits that let's say a bipolar person would have, or this or that diagnosis, that doesn't mean you have it, but yeah, uh, you, you, you need to kind of keep once again, um, unless you have a med- underlying chemical, you know, imbalance or some medical condition, it's, it's up to you to try to keep yourself in check. Now I'm known as a very romantic or, uh, you know, I emotional, I guess you'd say, right. You know, um, hyper, I guess in a way, um, you know, maybe not as much hyper as I used to be, but you get it. You know, I wear my, my heart on my sleeve. Right. And I'm, I love animals and I'm, I'm there for people. All they got to do is, is ask. And if I can, which is most of the time I can, I'll try to help, you know? Um, and I learned at a young age that guys like me or people like me, guys or gals like me, we become very vulnerable because you will be taken advantage of. And I, you know, I just don't learn, you know, years and years in business and I still get taken advantage of. Um, and, and probably always will until I finally shut it down. But um, I don't, I, I just don't know of any other way to be, but I do try to, prioritize like right now I have to worry about my mom the next I got to worry about my friend Scott because he's not physically capable of helping his parents so there's a lot on my plate I got to worry about my friend Johnny who's in his 70s and who's who's not well and I I help him out as much as he was just here the the other day and I had to fix something for him and everything so this is just the way it is this is how I have to be you know um you know if somebody needs me I'll be there if I can't um I don't do it for any sort of reward because you never really get rewarded for it. I mean, unless you're really into karma, I don't know. I'm still waiting for that. Cause if it does happen, boy, I'm going to be a happy guy. If karma always all of a sudden kicks in, but now and then people will help me. Of course. My problem for me is I'm isolated now. I'm like, I'm way out. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. Right. So it's impractical for me to actually ask someone like Joe or you, Nico, who, who you, you live to probably three hours away. Hey, you want to come over and have a pizza? It's kind of ridiculous. So um, it's just the way it is. So you got to kind of toughen up. But you know what you should do, Nico? There's I can actually give you uh, titles of a couple of books, especially REBT. It's not a clinical um, diagnosis book where you will learn about bipolar or uh, any of the other uh, um, mental health disorders. But you should read up about it. You can even go online. Just be very careful where you go. Don't go to somebody's personal website or blog. Go to a medical site and 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 read a little bit about these um, conditions um, so that they'll give you a little more insight. But uh, And then maybe you can look at the bibliography and either purchase a book or go to the library and get a book and start reading about it. Because now everybody thinks that they could psychoanalyze, psychoanalyze everyone, you know. And the buzz, 30, 20, 30 years ago, it was manic depressive. Now it's, uh, uh, what do you call it, narcissism. Everybody's a narcissist. 20, 30 years ago, everybody's, a, you know, manic depressive or whatever. And uh, these people don't know. There's there's just more to it. You know, again, it's it's like the, the engine's blown analogy, you know. Um, study it. You, you know, if you, if you got the time, read up on it. Can't hurt you, you know, 
And uh, especially if you know someone that you su suspect might be a narcissist or whatever, um, read up about it, okay? Or if you're struggling with your emotions, read up on REBT, which I personally recommend because that's a, a CBT. It's a cognitive behavioral therapy thing. It works a little bit quicker than something like, you know, a Freud deal. Um, so, you know, it's just like some people need religion, right? They, or philosophy or uh, they're into something um, to, to become a bit more enlightened uh, spiritually. It really, it kind of all ties in, you know? I mean, we, have, we all have bodies and we all have brains and we all have minds. And no matter where you're born on this earth, things seem to work the same. Think about it. You know, our hearts beat the same. Our blood pressures are this or that are pretty much relatively universal. Why would not our mind be? Okay. So uh, anyway, we're getting way deep here. And that's too much for, for Mozart over there. I don't know. I really hope that happens, man, for you to be, look like him, Mozart, because if that's what you want, I'm just going to support you. Thank you. I always appreciate that. Yeah, I, that's one good thing as a coach who, who wants to stand behind what his guys want to accomplish, for sure. At, yeah. at least there, that's stage one. Like I said, it's, you got to have achievable goals. Don't, you know, don't go overshoot it. Don't say, you know, I want to have David Lee Roth here. That's, that's you know, that's out of my reach, necessarily. Oh, him the other day. <laughs> what? Yeah. He's older now. <laughs> yeah, actually, I've seen him. He's, he cuts his hair really short now, too. I think he like. Arlo Guthrie retired, by the way. The folk singer guy. Hmm. He's got a little bit of health issues and so on, and he basically just said, that's it. You know, he's, he's canceled all his current and future uh, performing dates. And, um, yeah, he's – I'm not into folk music or that – I mean, I know who he is. I've listened to some of his songs, but, you know, he had a good following, you know. That's just not my cup of tea. I always wanted dreadlocks, but I could never grow my hair that long. You cut it as soon as it gets, like, two inches long. Um, okay. <laughs> How about okay. the clubs? <laughs> I haven't been watching sports at all. So how did the Browns do last week? You mentioned that. So anyway, let's change this up. <laughs> the damn Pittsburgh Steelers. That's okay. Browns are four and two. I mean, you know, they lost to the to both of the guys and you know to the Ravens and the Steelers and the, the Browns got smashed. Um, it was not pleasant. Um, but yeah, the uh, the Bears, I believe, play tomorrow night, right? Monday Night Football, correct? Joe, or are you talking to two guys who don't follow sports? So you don't know. Well, I mean, I actually last Sunday was able to sneak away for a little bit to watch the Bears with my friend Scott and his girlfriend before she had to leave town for a few days, and um, I predicted the Browns were. I made a bet with him. I took uh, the Panthers. The, the Browns and the Packers, and I lost across the board. I lost all three. So, oh, well, uh, I would never make a good bookie. I, I think, I mean, you know, sometimes I bet with my heart, and when you're a betting man, you, you cannot do that. 
you got to bet with your brain. So, but yeah, I don't know. What are you going to do this week, uh, Joe? We know Nico's going to work. What are you going to do, Joe? Well, it's, yeah, it's work and school. You know, I'm looking forward to the rest of this Sunday. Uh, like I said, Sunday's when my daughter comes over, so that's cool. She comes here hang with her boyfriend. We we hang out. We're going to – I don't know if you've ever been to the Morton Arboretum. Um, it's out here west, but we're going to, like, hike through. It's a really beautiful area, man. Like, I recommend anybody who's in the Chicagoland area, you know, try and visit it both in the fall – and in the spring, because they've got all different varieties of trees. Um, and it's just beautiful, you know, like, honestly, it's, it's, a, it's a really great, you know, now with COVID, though, it's, it's tricky, you have to, um, normally, you could just kind of drive up and pay an entrance fee and get in. But now you actually have to schedule your time and, and the weekends get taken up a lot. So we've kind of had to jump on that we missed last weekend when it was really nice out. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we've only got a, maybe a couple more weeks of fall leaves out there, maybe less, you know, I think, you know, we're doing, we're heading into the downturn after October, I think. Um, so yeah, that's what I've got on the, the schedule. Um, where, where is it at, Joel? So route 53, right by 88. So I think that's like the Glen Ellen kind of Wheaton area. Um, yeah, but it's right off of 53. So it's maybe, maybe like a 40 minute drive from the city, like straight West. Um, not too far from where I'm at. I'm pretty close. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great, they've got all these trails you can hike through all different kinds of species of trees. Like I said, if you just want to get away, like Tony was talking about decompressing. Now, sometimes it's busy and there's a lot of people. I haven't been there this summer, um, but it's actually kind of cool. You can even get like a family membership there and they've got um, all these kind of looping trails. Uh, some are roads for cars and some of them are like wooded trails, but like uh, a lot of joggers will go there too because it's, it's it's got like a four mile or six mile loop throughout the whole campus that you could run. So I used to do that back in the day when I was jogging more. Um, you know, just all kinds of like I said, I, I highly recommend it. I mean, the other one is the botanical gardens, which is up north. That's more kind of like uh, flowers and different different kinds of species of flowers and things, which is also very cool. Um, have you been to those, Tony? Well, <laughs> I was supposed to go to the botanical gardens and last year and uh i pull up in the car it was like 30 dollars to get in i'm like i'm not paying this i'm sorry i'm not gonna pay 30 dollars for this and i backed my car out and, and i left um yeah i was i was literally stunned they charged by a carload or something but you know whatever it was just i i'm sorry if i offend anybody out there in the chicagoland area but man that's just that's just i never heard of such as that's just a lot of money for that, you know, so I, no, I, the Arboretum, I, I used to go to the one in Ohio, Holden Arboretum, and I've been to the Morton Arboretum years ago, pretty neat, okay, but, um, yeah, that's, that's a lot of money, man, $30, Oof. to me. They charge you for the Arboretum, too? I didn't go to the... I mean, I went to the Arboretum many years ago. I don't remember what it was. Joe should, Joe should know. Yeah, there's definitely like an entrance fee. So you need to look it up. And sometimes it makes more sense. Like if you think you can do it, like if you're going to plan a year, like, well, I'm going to do it in the spring. And then again, like, you know, if you can, you definitely probably want to do like a family membership type thing or, or something so you can get it. If you can make it there more than once, you're going to be pretty far away, though. 
you know, coming from Indiana. So I don't see you like hitting it more than once, maybe, you know, <laughs> like, um, and, and I'm sure Indiana has a lot of great parks. You're, like I know now the, um, the dunes up there is a national park as well. Have you been there since they've made it a national park? Nico, have you? No, I've, I've never been to the dunes. I, I was at the beach, like pretty much right by the dunes, but I never went to the trails and stuff. I heard it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's amazing, man. They've got these like, I don't know, like 70 foot high sand hills. You want to talk about a workout, man, try and hike up those. Those are like, you'll get some serious leg workouts conditioning than that. It's, 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 it's far more intense than like, to me, running stairs or anything like that. Because obviously when, you know, it's sand, it's always giving away and it's loose sand. So you're just, you're just digging in and not getting anywhere. It's besides the fact, it's just kind of a stunning visual thing to see, you know, sand piled up so high, just crazy beach thing. It's definitely something to take the kids to during the summer. Um, and probably by next summer, you know, God willing, uh, they'll have some kind of a vaccine and we'll open up all these things so people can kind of go back to a normal routine, you know, hanging out and going there. But uh, I think both Michigan and Indiana have some really nice dunes. Um, and it's definitely a great yeah, beach day for the family. Uh, and I don't even think, I don't know now that it's national park, what the cost would be. Um, and I think there's some dunes that are not, uh, like definitely the ones in Michigan are not, you know, national parks or whatever but um yeah and like to tony's point you know like you know we're going to the kind of the fancier one we're making a special day out of it but there's a lot of forest preserves that you can get out into too you know we've got like a bike trail here out west where you can just you know with some of my training during the summer i try and bike it but totally free and you can get out into the woods that way you know there's a lot a lot of options if you don't have the, the coin to spend on like you know fancy certain parks or whatever and Chicago has a lot of beautiful parks, again, free downtown, wherever, neighborhoods, out here now where I live. Yes, I mean, I'm in nature. I'm in nature all, all the time. So, I'm, you know, why would I, you know, I mean, for me, it was just a shock. You know, I didn't mind 10, 12 bucks or something like that. But, man, $30, I mean, get it, forget it. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's, you know, everybody's different. You know, I'm not a big nature guy. Any, I'm a city guy, right? So I'm, I'm like, I'm a city guy. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's like for everybody's different, right? Everybody's got their own tastes. You know, I, me, I, I, I want to be around people. You know, I've always been a people person. You know, I'd rather go somewhere where there's a, you know, people that I could talk to and learn from. And, you know, that interests me because a tree's a tree, but people bring 50, 60 years, 70 years of, of life with them, depending on how old they are, you know, and that's a well that's very, very deep, you know, to tap and to learn from. And, you know, you run into somebody who may have a slight accent. Where are you from? Oh, I was from Germany. Oh, well, now this opens up a new can of worms. Let's talk about Germany. Let's talk about German restaurants. What's your favorite one around here or whatever? It is, you know, to me, that's always been the thing, you know, learning getting being a people person um but again not everybody's like that i i happen to be more outgoing than some so if i was an introvert i probably wouldn't want to do that but um and so that's been especially hard not even the covid but just living out here where you know there's not that kind of conglomeration of people in the city you had that until now you know and again i don't know if you guys know but they rolled back again a little bit in chicago for at least the next two weeks and they may roll back again. Now, my county that I live in now is super high with this positive 
positivity rate. It was like 11 or 12%, but we're tied in with Lake County. So we haven't gotten shut down again, but it, it may happen. I, I got, I was going to look at that up today and I forgot. We'll see what happens by the end of the week or midweek. You know, our governor may roll it back again um, to try to stem the tide here. You know, um, Wisconsin didn't take this seriously at all. And Wisconsin people are coming across the border, like to my area. And, you know, that's why our positivity rates skyrocketing. Um, it's pretty bad up there in Wisconsin. So um, okay, everybody's got to get on the same page here. Why, you know, do what we can. But, uh, yeah, not, you know, what can you do about it, right? Just protect yourself, protect your family. I'm not worried about myself per se, but I'm worried about being a, catching it and being a carrier for my mother, you know, and, and we have to worry about people who are older or who aren't healthy, although it's affecting younger people too. This past week or the previous week, we've had people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s die in Illinois. That's quite a spectrum there. So, you know, it's just kind of like the, the attitude of, well, nothing, I don't need to learn to defend myself. You know, I live in a good neighborhood. Nothing bad will ever happen to me. Same kind of mindset. Yeah, nothing bad will happen to you until something bad happens to you. You know, then you're crying. So better safe than sorry. It's not a big inconvenience to wear a mask. It's not a big inconvenience to social distance. You know, <clears throat> it really isn't. Yeah, I'm I'm hearing two different stories, like one from the media, and I I do a lot of concrete work at hospitals, so I talk to the hospital employees, and all the ones I'm talking to are saying, this really we're not getting any spikes in here. It's, things are very quiet in the hospital. Um all the ones I've been to, they're saying it's basically the opposite of what you're seeing on the news. It's not, it's not going crazy like they're saying. So, I've, I've talked to people. It's just the opposite of what you just said. They're like, man, it's swamped. As a matter of fact, they put an outside hospital thing set up uh, in Wisconsin. It's already gotten beds, people in it. So a lot of it is, you know, regional. Where are you? What part of the region are you? Uh, you know, but I'm getting a little bit sick and tired of everybody saying the media is making shit up because um, quit pointing the fingers. Uh, I know people who have died of this, so I get very sensitive. Uh, the shit is real. It, people are getting infected. People are getting sick. People are dying. And that's fact. It's definitely a real virus. I, I have no question about that. What I question is the stats, the numbers, and the reporting on it. Well, um, it from your government this is the seat yeah, i don't trust the government well then blame your president he is the government if you he he is not the government the government is everyone involved right and he is at the head of this you know everybody had no problem blaming every previous president for every ill that happened in this country therefore he's at the top of the list you know he's come out he's bashed fauci He's this, he's that. If he's got a, like my grandmother used to say to me, you know, you got a mouth for everything else, Tony. So ask, ask this person, that person. You got a mouth for everything else. Well, if Trump can come out and start bashing all these agencies, what are you telling me? You know, that he's, he's off the hook. Sometimes he wears a mask, he doesn't wear a mask. He mocks it, he doesn't mock it. He caught it, now what? You know, it's, it, 
People are dying. And the president, no matter who it is, needs to take charge and should have taken charge a long time ago and said, this is the way it's got to be. Now every governor or this or that, everybody's fighting everybody for control. you got 50 states. Everyone's probably doing something different. This is no way to run the country. Um, this is a pandemic. You know, this is an attack from a virus that's coming from, you know, it's an invisible invader. Uh, if we were being attacked by another country, let's say, an actual country, would, would whoever the president is leave it up to each individual governor to defend your own state? from, let's say, you know, China or Russia or whoever's going to attack us? No. We're supposed to be the United States of America, and we're supposed to fight this together, you know, and that's just not happening. Everybody's on their own, doing their own thing. I'm sorry for getting upset, but, man, I'm just getting, you know, we've been in this shit already for, what, eight months or seven, eight months, and, you know, it's just not getting better. I mean, I and the worst weather's coming. Now what? You know? I mean, 230,000 people as of today are dead. That's, you know, we're approaching a quarter million uh, people in America that have passed from this. Uh, I, and I know people don't believe those numbers either. Well, guess what? They could be more. It could be more than that. You know, who knows? In the beginning, people weren't getting tested as much, so maybe they had it. And, you know, and we don't know. But it's scaring me to think that, I mean, I live in an area where they just don't, they just don't want to wear masks. You know, these people just don't care. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Now, North Dakota and South Dakota, and it's pretty rural out there. They were, this past week, the leading states with this stuff. Think about that. That's shocking to me. Yeah, I, I question the science and the stats and everything. I don't believe nothing. Okay. As, as far as the masks, they, okay, Indiana wasn't wearing any masks to begin with, pretty much. It was not mandated. After they mandated the mask, um, the numbers started going up and up after the official mandate. You can't go anywhere without a mask, and the numbers are going up. So do the masks help? I mean, really, what is the purpose of the mask and how is it being used? Is a bandana really going to do anything on your face? Is a medical grade hospital mask that you use every day for months on end, is that going to protect you or anyone else? No. You're supposed it, it's to. All, it's all bullshit. It's okay. all bullshit. You could, you could put something on your face and you're good, but it does nothing. It just gives you a false sense of security. And it's. Well, you. <clears throat> You just said that you don't believe the statistics, and yet you said, well, since we've been wearing masks, the positivity rate's gone up. So, so if you don't believe the statistics, then you can't believe that the rate's gone up. You can't have it both ways, Nico. Either you believe the statistics saying that the, the, that the rate went up, or you don't believe it at all. Which one is I, it? I don't believe it at all. Well, then I don't believe anything that's being reported as completely accurate. Well, okay then. So then you don't know really in your mind if the rates have gone up or down because you don't believe anything you read. I, well, I, I know the people I talk to at the hospitals have been saying that nothing's going up in their hospital. So okay. I believe the people I talk to. Okay. But I don't talk to every hospital. No. Well, just like I say, you can't cherry pick the stat. And I don't mean you, but anybody. You can't cherry pick it. Either you believe it or you don't believe it or this or that, but 
it's got to be one or the other. Uh, as I said, two well, people. If the, ma- if the mask does work, the, the stats would go down if everything's being reported accurate, right? Not necessarily, no. Because what? Because I wore a mask to, let's say, Walmart, but I didn't wear a mask around other people that are infected or at work or something. Or maybe these people were never tested. Now they're being tested and they're testing positive. They had it maybe before they wore the mask. You know, we don't, how long is it? You know what they were saying initially that you had to be in contact with someone for 15 minutes solid. Okay. 15 minutes, you know, within a enclosed space to catch the virus. Now they're saying it may not be 15 minutes continuously. It could be, a, you know, it could be 15 minutes in a, in a broader spectrum of time that you're around someone that's infected. So I don't know of anybody, I'm not saying there aren't, but I don't know of anybody who wears a mask 24 hours a day. So if it just takes 15 minutes, let's say, of not wearing a mask to get contaminated, then we're, we're in trouble. I'm not saying that's the facts, but that's the latest that's coming from um, the CDC. From what I heard from certain doctors is that the majority of people are contracting it from contact with droplets, um, not through airborne. But as far as the six feet apart, there's no scientific basis for six feet. A a virus is not going to travel only five foot, 11 inches. Um, I think, I think that's all based on surveillance it's not has nothing to do with a virus there's no doctor that i know of that says a virus uh can't travel six feet the six feet is all bullshit to me well then make it 12 feet who knows the point is they're trying to keep you from any droplets come from not wearing a mask if i have a mask on my and, and it's good enough to you know the level to stop the transmission of the virus, then there will be no droplets coming from my nose or my mouth. Okay. However, just like the coronavirus uh, or the rhinovirus with colds and everything, you you can get it on your hand and put it on the door doorknob or, or something like that. The next person comes and opens it up and now they got it. Okay. This happens pretty much all the time with, you know, flu or, or this or that, but now it's just because, it wasn't taken seriously enough in the beginning. It was understated and it was continually understated. A lot of people just don't, don't take, they just don't care. That's the thing that, that bothers me. I, I don't know, but long before the coronavirus, I think all of us, if somebody was sick with the flu, the real flu, we didn't want to be around them. Okay. People were told, don't come to work. If you're, if you got the flu, you will well, catch it. People took that seriously, but for some reason or another, people just, many people, not everybody, but many people just are not taking this seriously enough. They're like, it's no, it's, it's, it's not that important. I, I don't know. I just shake my head. And then I start to wonder if they don't take this seriously. What about the next time around when something even worse than this comes along? And it may not happen in our lifetime, but it might, who knows? Are we going to go through this again where nobody's going to believe anything? I think I think this was this is a beta test. Um, I think this is only a testing ground before they release the true pandemic that's going to be devastating, and I think it's going to come pretty soon. Who's they? Who's they that are going to release this? The enemies of this nation. In, in my opinion, the enemies of this nation 
have sent us this virus. I, I believe right now we are in a covert war with other nations. And this war is going to escalate and probably escalate into a full-blown world war. But I think that before that happens, this beta test proved how vulnerable our nation is and they're going to release the real deal at the right time. And I think everybody should think ahead and think about that scenario. Um, just think about America without stores, without power, without all the conveniences we have and a deadly pandemic at the same time. I think that's a scenario we should all be thinking about because I think it's very probable it's going to happen and probably soon. Are you going to believe it if it happens? Are you going to believe the statistics or are you going to say the media is making it up? I don't believe anything I see on the media. So then how are you going to know if this pandemic that's coming that you're predicting is going to be for real? Because I will talk to the people at the hospitals. I talk to people. I talk to people that experienced it. I know people that had the virus. I, I believe it's, it's a true virus. I believe it's bad. Most of the people I talk to, here's the thing. When did the media see, when did the media say that the virus came here? The last I heard, our president was informed of this, I believe either in December or January, for sure January of this past, of this year, 2020. Okay. Almost every person that I know has either known someone or experienced all these viral symptoms in November or December before they announced that it was here on the media. That could very well be true because maybe this is, it's worse. This is, this is every single person I'm talking to is saying this. Understood. But listen, they may have thought they just had the flu. Um, when AIDS first came out, doctors were seeing patients. They had no clue what it was. It wasn't until X amount of time later that the doctors could retroactively diagnose, oh, my patient actually had uh, HIV or AIDS or whatever. I'm not a medical doctor. But so that could have been the case here as well. It could have been here in November. It could have been here in December. Or it could have just been the flu that these people had because that is flu season. So we don't know. So it's speculation. All I do know is that they're reporting that the government here, the USA, knew about it like in January. And, okay, I don't know. I'm not in, you know, I'm not in Washington. But I do know this. It's still around. And I know Paris, Paris, France, or France, however you want to look at it, they were doing shutdowns is like a week ago or two weeks ago. Um, this is just not limited to the United States. And this is happening everywhere. So it, it's not just an attack on the United States. It's an attack on the West. Well, okay. Uh, do you consider India the West? Yes, I do. You consider India part of the West. Okay, because India, India is an ally. India is an ally. And India is one of the greatest allies of the U.S., especially in a war between the U.S. and China. All right, so it's just the West in your mind. It's not just America then. Yes. Okay. So then who's behind it? Well, we know it came from China and whoever's allied with China. Told you? How do you know it came from China? Because of the media? Because it you came can't trust the media, you said. So how do you know where it came from? I'm playing devil's yep. advocate here. 
Well, well, you're right, but I read alternative media. Now, I don't believe the mainstream media necessarily. I do think that there's truth with a twist on the mainstream media. So I always read, I, I take it with a grain of sand. So I, there's always some kind of ulterior motive, usually with any media. Just and- like, just, just like I think every person has an ulterior motive. I think the same way when I look at any article any newscast, anything. Well, uh, you you can you can have your opinion. I can have mine. Joe can has can have his. The bottom line is there is so many misconceptions, and a lot of it is because of this quote unquote alternative media that just spouts whatever they want because they really don't have the credentials. If they get shut down, they just open up a new website. No big deal. Um, but the fact of the matter is. If this is just not happening to the United to the United States alone, it's happening to many countries, and we don't know how accurate the reporting is in many of the other countries. All I can tell you is common sense would say I doubt they would overreport it. If anything, many countries would be underreporting it. Um, so it's it's a worldwide pandemic at this stage of the game. The seriousness of it. Let's leave that up to the epidemiologists and the scientists. Um, but what they do know from various viruses in the past is that they tend to mutate, and who knows what this could turn into. Um, let's just hope that if they do come up with some sort of vaccine, um, it, it'll be readily available, and it will be effective, for one, and it will be financially feasible for people to um, to get it because certain things have been said promises have already been made that if there is a vaccine, it would be free. Um, I'll believe that when I see it, because I don't know about that. Vaccines cost a lot of money to develop and they have to be tested. Would you be a guinea pig for a vaccine? Nico? I don't, I don't want nobody to stick me with nothing. There you go. Okay. So that's, let me ask this, you a question. If there was a vaccine tested and approved, would you take it? The answer is no. Okay. So now let me ask you this. Let's speculate. Let's say there's a bunch of people in this country or in the world that think like you think that would not take the vaccine. What is our options then? I mean, if no, if, you know, if, if there's if peep, if there's an effective vaccine, this is all speculative. If there's an effective vaccine and nobody wants to take it, what's the point? Why develop one? If, if everybody that believes in the vaccine takes it, then they're protected and they could rid society of the scum of the earth people that they think uh, don't want to take the vaccine because they won't be protected. Correct. I don't know if vaccines work that way. I think that there's a, I think in the general population, there has to be an ex, a, a large amount of people um, that have to take the vaccine. We're treading into an area where I'm not ec- expert enough to discuss. Um, so I don't want to say anything that isn't technically true, but uh, I do believe that just because you get inoculated, if everybody else in your community doesn't, you're still susceptible to it, at least that, or not to this particular, I'm just saying in, in general, although I think I, I could be wrong. Well, um, that's, isn't that the whole point of the vaccine that you're not susceptible to it? 
I, again, my point is, I don't. I think a vaccine is supposed to be taken by the masses in order to quell the, not just the coronavirus, anything. Okay, I think that's how they wiped out, you know, with the polio thing and the smallpox and everything. Everyone was getting, or sh- most everyone was getting inoculated in schools and everything else to try to bring it down. It wasn't just like a select few that were going to be immune. It was trying to get it to the masses and wipe it out. That's what, that's what I'm thinking. Because again, the stuff mutates. So if, if let's just say speculatively, if everybody in America got it and it was hundred percent effective, then if, if it kills the virus, then the virus itself cannot mutate. But if enough people don't take it amongst themselves, the people who didn't take it, it can mutate change and then start reinfecting because now it's, it's no longer the same virus. It's a new one. That's well, at least my, that's, my way of thinking. I don't know. I, I think you're right. I think this is the problem with the vaccine a vaccine like the coronavirus or even the flu virus. It's constantly mutating. Correct. How many, how many people do you know take, get the flu shot and then they get the flu. So, I mean, is it really effective because if it mutates every eight days, how can you create a vaccine for this? Well, then, again, this is our government who has been pushing for this vaccine. And, you know, they've been pushing for it before the election as as an elixir. Okay, so it's not the media. It's the government who is is speaking out and the media is just there reporting it, putting up video clips, putting up the audio clips. And, you know, we're going to get a vaccine. It's going to be here by, you know, October, you know. Do you really think that the government has your well-being in mind? No, I don't believe a vaccine should be rushed through. I mean, exactly. In the past, it had to be it had to go through test, test. Look, it's like an airplane that has redundancy factors built in or spacecraft, not just one backup, two, three, four backups and and vaccines or any sort of treatment of, of anything needs to be thoroughly tested. And yes, there's going to be side effects. Yes, there's going to be people who are going to get sick or perhaps die. I tell everybody that I'm allergic to penicillin. If I take penicillin, it could kill me, okay? I've been allergic to penicillin my whole life. But because I'm allergic to penicillin, does that mean that they should take penicillin off the market? That penicillin is deadly? No, penicillin has helped people, you know, millions of people throughout the years. I just happen to be one of those people that you know is um susceptible to it i'm i'm allergic to it uh so yeah the only way to know that in a new vaccine is to test it along you know amongst enough people uh and and long enough to get an idea of what the side effects are then it's up to everyone to weigh the pros and the cons you know what are the side effects you know am i do you, you think i can be susceptible just like any other medication they all have certain side effects um, I am not an epidemiologist. I am not a virologist. I don't have enough knowledge to discuss the medical or the technical aspects behind this. As far as I know, and I'm, I've been, I've been tuning it out because it's just like information overload with me. <laughs> you know, you hear the same stuff all the time, gloom and doom. Um, the only thing that I'm keeping up on is if, my specific area that I live, if we're going to roll back and there's going to be more um, closures, I like to know that because for me, it's personal. If, if we get rolled back, 
then my mom can no longer, again, can no longer go to adult daycare. She's going to be home here. Okay. And now what do I do? Um, do I have to try to get her, uh, you know, a five hour a day caretaker again? So this is my only concern for me and my, and my mom is what's going to happen here. Because my mom needs this adult daycare because she enjoys being around these people. They do activities, arts and crafts. They give her lunch, breakfast, lunch, snacks. Uh, it's good for their mental well-being as well as the physical. She, she does things. When she's here, she does nothing. Okay. Um, I take care of everything in the house. Every, every single little thing I do, which I don't mind because I'd be doing it anyway. But she needs to develop her mind keep it going as much as she can. Um, so that's what my concern is, Nico. If we get rolled back, so I, I don't know. You don't believe in the statistics. I don't care if I believe them or I don't believe them. As long as our, our state government says they're shutting down, yeah, then I got to prepare for it. You know, I got to make ulterior plans. So it's a little more personal for me, you know, um, than it may be for, for you or Joe, because, you know, you, you know, I'm, it's, I'm worried about her. Me, I can occupy my time, but, and I'm glad we have this discussion because this is the way everybody needs to discuss it that are on opposing sides or have differences of opinions. You, you, you still got to care about one another. You don't have to start screaming and, and name calling and stuff. Uh, you just, you know, we don't know the truth. I, I don't know. The truth could be better than what we know. The truth could be worse than what we know. I, I, don't, know. I don't know, right? No, none of us know. But even in the scheme of life, there's so many uncertainties and variables that you got to kind of just keep your friends tight, man. You know, keep your family tight. Kind of worry about yourself. What do you think, Joe? Well, I got a lot of thoughts on it. I think uh, one of the things that a lot of things popped up in my mind while you two guys were talking. For one, I agree with your point, Tony, is that, and this is very similar to a lot of things we were talking about today, is like, how do you arrive at the truth and how do you know it? And you have to be willing to discuss it and see it from both sides and be civil about it and not take it personal. You know, whether it's your fight training or your psychological or financial health, you're going to have to get, you know, your information from a lot of different sources and weigh them against each other to arrive at what you think is, you know, the best decision or, or you know, uh, you know, closest to the truth. Uh, so Nico's point about being skeptical, you know, whether it's relaying to someone, your personal issues, you know, we were talking about earlier or like dealing with them as a news source. I think it's good to, yeah. Um, keep a open, keep a critical eye on all this, information you're getting. It's very hard to do that. I think it, it takes a lot of work. None of these to arrive at a decision. I mean, life is complicated. So to arrive at a decision, whether it's political or dealing with some aspect of your personal life takes time. You have to do the work to get at best information. I mean, as far as like the pandemic, I do kind of to Nico's earlier point, I do hope we as a country well, you know, I don't think our response was as clearly could have been better to this. And I think it was a little scattered, you know, and I'm hoping if anything, you know, with all this loss of life and loss of economic growth, that our country 
you know, our government and our citizens will, will learn from this. You know, I, I think I mentioned this on an earlier podcast, but, you know, like the 9-11 attacks um, prior to that, like I think it was in, in, the, in the 90s, the Twin Towers were attacked before. And not a lot of people remember that, but there was a car bomb. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people in that building ever since then, because a lot of people died unnecessarily in that first attack because they didn't have a good plan to get out of that building when there was a fire. A lot of people died in the staircases because of smoke. But I had some people who were in the building during 9-11, and they said that the building had drilled and practiced getting people the hell out of there. So they had like each floor had someone who was in charge, and they, they gave you a mask to wear to cover from the smoke. And they got, and I think they saved hundreds, if not thousands of lives because they had been attacked earlier. And now, you know, flash forward several years later, they had drilled and they had learned from that lesson and practice. Now they still was a horrible attack and yeah, but it could have been worse. And I think our country, whether it's an intentional viral attack or um, just a natural one or an accident, whatever it is, I think, I hope the silver lining from this is that we as a people and as a nation, we come up with a better plan that we work together on it. So, you know, Hey, if we know some, something bad is happening in Asia, we say, okay, guys, we got a couple of weeks and this is going to be on our shore. So maybe, you know, and we should all know the drill basically, you know, like after nine 11, it was like, Oh, it's code yellow or code orange, you know, keep your eyes peeled. I think we as a nation need that plan for pandemics too. And, you know, God willing, we'll never have to use it, but hopefully we can learn from this experience and say, well, why was it that things spiked in North and South Dakota or why, you know, what, what things went wrong? How did we express that to make people, you know, uh, not buy into this or concerned? So I, I think that's my thing, thinking about it and having these discussions is I hope that we, if anything, just learn from this and have a better plan when, when the time comes, if there's another time. Well, let's hope there's, I mean, I hope it doesn't happen again, but let's hope we all pull through this and start becoming united again. I mean, we'll always have our differences. We always have in the history of this country. I mean, you know, we've had civil war and we've had just, you know, a lot of chaos. This is nothing new. Um, it's just been, you know, it's, it's bubbling, it's brewing. It, it is what it is. Um, but somewhere along the way, I believe everyone has to stop, you know, you got to start thinking about your fellow man. Okay. Period. Uh, and there's a lot of wrapping around the flag kind of stuff here, wrapping yourself in the flag. And, and I don't know if everybody knows what, the, what it means. It means all men are created equal for one. Uh, and I think that part of it is being missed. I, from, from what I see or where, where I'm at, there's a lot of people who just don't feel that they're equal. They feel that their way of thinking is superior. And that is a troublesome thing because you can't have superiority does not breed equality. Okay. If we're equal, we're equal. Your opinion may be different. You, you and I don't argue. People don't argue normally or at least unless they're abnormal about favorite movies or favorite songs or favorite restaurants, right? Everybody's entitled to their opinions like that and don't infringe on each other. That that's all we have to to worry about. You know, I'm not going to force you. I mean, tell you, Hey, watch this movie. If you don't like it now, you, you wasted maybe two hours of your life. Think about that. Two hours of your life. 
you're not going to hate me forever because I made you watch a movie for two hours. Don't, now let's say I'm a business, don't hate me if you're in my business, my shop or my restaurant or whatever it is, and you have to wear a mask for 20 minutes, okay? It, it's, you know, my point is just if if the rules right now are wear the mask or, or you know, whatever it is, you got to wear a shirt, you got to wear a shoes for service. We have that out here. Um, how big of an inconvenience is it? Can you just Can you just say, okay, I'll go along with it right now? But no, because like Nico was saying, people are worried. Some people are worried that next time it's going to be more than just the mask. They're going to make you do this and this and this, and then where does it end? But um, somewhere along the way, this country, in any country to survive, you have to have some level of trust that there are checks and balances that are going to prevent extraordinary things from happening to the people. We don't know. None of us are clairvoyant to know if that's the ultimate plot, if that's the end game here to make us all, in, in essence, you know, property of the state, I guess you'd say, where we're, we're going to have to capitulate to everything they say or do. I sure hope not. Um, I don't want to live like that. But I'll tell you straight out, there have been a lot of laws that have been enacted that I never thought would be when I was graduating from high school. Okay, when I graduated from high school, and I never smoked cigarettes, but I never once thought that they were going to stop smoking in bars, restaurants, indoor places. I mean, come on, it was all over TV. Every movie you see from back then, people are smoking, blah, 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 blah. I never thought that would happen. I never thought they'd do the seatbelt thing, okay? I never thought this. And I remember, like, you know, with the cigarette smoking, oh, that's it. I never, people would say, I'm never going out to bars again. I'm not doing this and that. Well, they do. They, they all started to go back out. They might have bitched and moaned about it for a bit. But a lot of people who said they weren't ever going to come out again, I know these people personally, they were all back out within, you know, a week or something. So the human body, the human mind, the human psyche has a way of being resilient and learning to adapt. You know, let's just hope, and I think this is Nico's point, that the government doesn't become so restrictive to us that we become cattle or property to them. Um, and, and of course, huh? That's exactly what I believe. Right. That I believe it's all leading there, but in very small steps. Well, yeah, and you could be, you could have a very valid point. None of us can sit here and say you're wrong. The, the most that we could do is just say, you know, time will tell, okay? And in time, you know, from between now and then, you know, we got to try to enjoy our life the best we can. Okay. I, I, I'm not going to give into, um, you know, the, the, the paranoia or the, the exuberance of this or that. I, I'm just not, I can't live like that. I got enough direct things here in my life that I have to, that I, that are under my control that I, that I need to tend to. And um, again, we don't know. Just like I say, the Browns will never win the Super Bowl. I'm joking. I don't know if they will or won't eventually. Uh, time will tell. But I'm not going to get my life wrapped up in it. You know, if they win, it's a pleasant surprise. I'll do. I'll take Joe's euphoria thing. I'll be euphoric for for a day. Um, but in the end, I just want all of us to be on the same page. I want us all, you know, everybody to, to help out as much as they can, and. And start looking for the similarities in, in each other as opposed to the to the differences, okay? Because 
I told somebody this. I don't want to mention who, um, but I said, if you were having a heart attack, this was a very religious person, and this person had their, they're very opinionated on the religion. I said, if you were having a massive heart attack, you would not stop to ask for a specific religious-affiliated doctor. You'd want the best doctor. You wouldn't care if the doctor was any religion or no religion, okay? You'd just want the best doctor. You would, And that's what I think we have to think about. At times of crisis when our life is really on the line or something is really serious, serious, you know, we, we've we've got to start looking for the positive in somebody. What can this person give me, bring to me? What can I bring to that person? I'm actually pie in the sky. I get it. I'm on a soapbox. But damn it, it's better than bitching and, you know, looking at everybody as an enemy. I don't want that. I don't want to look at everyone as an enemy because then, then I'm clouded. Then I'm no longer crystal clear thinking, okay? Um, and that's just the way... It, that's just that's just the way I'm going to be. I'm going to try to give everybody a chance until their their chances are up. But anyway, we've, we've been actually talking quite long today, so um, I think we should probably start bidding our adieus until next Sunday. It was really one of our better talks. We covered a lot of serious stuff today, not a lot of fluff. Um, and I think the most important thing, at least in my opinion, is the fact that Joe wants to look like a dead man, Okay. I mean, Mozart's been dead how many? Hundreds of years? You know. He's still alive in everybody's heart, though. That's the important thing. How do you achieve well, immortality? And I, and I definitely think it's in the hair. He lives through his music. And his hair. <laughs> right? And it's, and you, you know, you, you, and you're a bass player. You're a bassist. So, you know, in a lot of ways, you, you know what? Amazing Randy died this, this past week. I saw that. Yeah, that was a bummer. And when I was young, everybody was like, oh, he's incarnate, uh, reincarnated of uh, Houdini. That was the thing, of course. You know, Randy, he, he was a skeptic as well. But maybe you are Mozart again. I don't know. We don't know. This is another one we have to wait and see. We'll have to see how your hair turns out. We'll have to see if you start composing for the bass. Um, and then maybe you will have your shot at immortality. Let's hope so, yeah, because nothing else has really improved my music, so I think it might be the hair. And that's science. Huh. It's a simple process of elimination, deduction. It's like you said, Tony, critical thinking. Well, yeah, that's good. Let's hope for the best. That's all I can say. (laughs) All right, guys, well, thanks again, and I'll see you all next Sunday. We, We tape these things. We don't tape these things in advance. We should. We should have a few in the tank just in case we miss a week. But that fell through, too, because our scheduling, we don't have a lot of time. Everybody, believe it or not, even with all this, you think people are locked down or this, yeah, we, we, don't have, we can't get our schedules together. But we do block out a few hours on a Sunday morning to do this. So thanks again, guys. Thank you, guys. Nice. Good talking to you. Take care, man. All right, bye. Thank you.